Hello, you're listening to Two Booked Up. I'm Rowena Mabbott, here with Shelley Tonkin-Smith, and today we're chatting about a new book, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, by Oliver Berkman. This book tackles the daunting task of managing our time and making the most of the limited number of weeks we have in our lives. Yep, which, if you hope to live to 80, is just 4,000 weeks, hence the title. But here's the kicker. This is not a book about productivity. In fact, it's an argument against this mindset of trying to optimize our schedules to do more, more, more. Oliver turns the whole idea of time on its head to try and find a new solution to this time management issue that really we've always struggled with. And along the way, he takes us on a journey through different philosophies, different religions, and different cultures. I found it absolutely fascinating. So seriously, Shelley, what are we waiting for? Let's dive in and talk about 4,000 Weeks. This is the Two Booked Up podcast, where we talk about books. The books that are challenging us to live more intentional lives. The books that are equipping us on our business and professional journeys. And the books that delight and bring us joy. So if you want to live a life with more intention and you want to be doing work that brings you joy, then come and join the bookish conversation with me, Shaley Tonkin-Smith. And me, Rowena Mabbott, here on Two Booked Up. So 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. I'm going to kick things off with a quick overview of the book. So the book explores the popular concept of time management. We've all kind of grappled with it. But he takes a different point of view to the one that you may be used to. You know, that idea of implementing certain techniques so that you can get more stuff done and that you've optimized everything in your schedule. You know, often that's what we think of with time management. But instead, in 4,000 Weeks, Oliver Berkman starts with the boundaries that we're typically working with as humans. And that is, if you assume you'll live to 80, then you'll have about 4,000 weeks here on Earth. So... With that kind of boundary and that kind of bombshell dropped, he splits the book into two big parts, each with chapters inside of them. And so part one is called Choosing to Choose. And in this part, he sets up this idea of finitude, that we have limited time. And so rather than trying to cram a lot of stuff into that time, we'd do better to make choices and trade-offs. Kind of reminds me of essentialism. So like the one example that stands out for me is that no one is going to be able to travel the whole world and see the whole world. So accept that. And if travel is important to you, then you're only going to be able to choose some places that you want to travel to and then enjoy them while you're there rather than trying to cover the whole world and choose everything. So then he goes on to part two, and that is called Beyond Control. So this is where he offers a lot of alternatives to this productivity culture that he's sort of set up and then taken down. And this part two is focused on the 
antithesis to this idea that we can control time, that we can fit in more, and that we can try and predict the future. So he asks us to release that control in part two and has some nice practical ways of of doing that. Although I I do also enjoy all the ancient knowledge. He brings in well-known philosophers and researchers and spiritual figures to support his approach for using our limited lifetime to focus on what matters. Rather than promoting this, it's, and it's a very modern idea of this hyper-productivity and this constant need to optimize everything. So Berkman explains that our world is focused on organizing time to the last minutes. And we also focused on optimizing our financial status, accumulating as much money as we can, even at the cost of life and living. And we were also focused as a society and as a world on on leveraging our resources to get the most out of our resources. So he points out that as a society, this just leaves us in a place where we've forgotten how to actually live in the presence and enjoy life. And that's really the rallying call of this book is, is live in the present. This is, this moment is all we have and let's enjoy life in this moment. Yes, absolutely, Shelley. That is definitely one of the key messages I took. And interestingly, I think it's fascinating that it also is one of the key messages that's come through in some of the other books we've featured, such as Essentialism and The Lazy Genius Way. Now, before we go any further, I just want to quickly explain that we are not going to talk through each chapter as we've done with other books partly because Oliver Berkman's chapter titles are kind of cryptic with titles <laughs> like The Watermelon Problem. Yeah. Um, so instead, <laughs> I know I started looking at that and go, yeah, I could fancy some watermelon. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to cover the key ideas or the lessons that are shared in the book and we'll reference chapters as much as we can. So let's talk about one of the ideas, which is embracing the limits of our time. Now, for reference, that pretty much comes up in Chapter 1 and Chapter 3. So it's in essence, this is what 4,000 Weeks is, a limit on our time. And I'm going to share a quote here because Oliver is at pains to point out no one really even gets 4,000 weeks. And so here's the quote. You never even get a single week in the sense of being able to guarantee that it will arrive or that you'll be in a position to use it precisely as you wish, end quote. He expands on this to explain that the core challenge of managing our limited time isn't actually about how to get everything done. That's never going to happen, newsflash. But rather, it's how do we decide most wisely what not to do and how do we feel at peace about not doing it? Now, this to me is a is a bit of a turn up, right? Like it's the complete opposite of most of your productivity books. It's like kind of like upside down approach from every mm-hmm. other time management book, which is why I think this book is quite powerful. And I'm going to share another quote because I think using his words, you really get the kind of the style of his language. It's very readable. So I love the way he explains it here. And here's the quote, organizing your days with the understanding that you definitely won't have time for everything you want to do or that other people want you to do. And so at the very least, you can stop beating yourself up for failing. 
So at the very least, you can stop beating yourself up for failing because you're just not going to succeed. Now, that seems a bit bleak, but it's really about that understanding. What do you think, Mm -hmm. Sally? Yeah, absolutely. It's like one of these truth bombs that actually, as you said, at at first reading, it sounds a bit bleak, even the idea of time management for mortals, you facing your mortality, and it's like, feels like bad news and a bit macabre. But quote like that, I think is actually full of self-compassion of going, Mm -hmm. you know what, you're not going to get it all done anyway. So don't worry about it. You're human. That's what we do. And as a parent and as a business owner, I know it's so common for me to get to the end of the day and go, man, I didn't get everything done or, or even I got nothing done today. (laughs) And, (laughs) and this book says, well, yeah, obviously you're never going to get it all done and neither is anybody else. So you can chill. <laughs> and I, yes. I felt that was a beautiful permission slip. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. And I think that also ties in with this idea of the efficiency trap, which he introduces in chapter two. So the efficiency trap is that we believe we are being efficient and getting things done and we work really hard and we even struggle to fit everything in, but we spin those plates and we juggle those balls, whatever metaphor you're thinking of. But when we succeed, often all we've done is spend our time on the least meaningful things. So we've been efficient, but we've been running on a hamster wheel. And efficiency doesn't really help us focus on the important stuff. So I've also got a quote here. So he says, rendering yourself more efficient, either by implementing various productivity techniques or by driving yourself harder, won't generally result in the feeling of having enough time because all else being equal the demands will increase to offset any benefits and I've got a few ideas here but what I also want to just mention is that Oliver Berkman was a productivity writer from from one of the top American newspapers so he was into all this productivity stuff but then actually realized that it's not serving him. But here I think of email. Um, and I think that's been one for the ages, well, certainly for mm-hmm. our ages. I can remember people in in the lift, like on the Blackberries, in the days of Blackberries, like sending oh, yes. emails. But then you always you send in the emails and you think you're being efficient standing there using your lift ride to send an email to someone, but that just manufactures another email reply back and, a, and an email chain. And in the end, those benefits of the productivity are actually offset. Now, in more recent times, I also think of Slack. I've had to be very careful with Slack. So it seems like this lovely, convenient, efficient thing to communicate with, with, your, with your colleagues. Uh, but I had Slack on my phone and then I'm getting messages in the middle of my day and I'm not in the headspace to deal with them. And it seems like it's convenient, and it is, but it really has to be reined in. Otherwise, the benefits of the time you're saving are negligible. In fact, it's probably the opposite, and you're ending up sending more silly messages or doing these more meaningless tasks. So, yeah, I think think that's examples of where you can get into this efficiency trap doing just more and more more things that aren't meaningful. I agree. I know actually what you're saying brings to mind for me the idea of social media. I'm going to go there because as business owners, we can be very efficient and very productive in generating a bunch of like social media posts and responding to messages on Twitter and hoping that all of this activity is 
moving the needle forward. But if it's not specifically mm. bringing in income, is it efficient? Mm. Is it productive? But we've been very busy all day. So we're doing all of this activity in our business and we've been super busy, but at the end of the day, mm. what do we have to show for it? We have a bunch of activity, but not necessarily mm-hmm. productive activity that's moving, so that's the focus thing about what was actually mattering. But now moving on, there is another theme that I really liked in this book, and that is the importance of reflection and self-awareness. Now, Oliver suggests that we need to be honest with ourselves about our priorities and how we're spending our time. Now, he's not the only book that has talked about this. A lot of the books we've talked about on this show have kind of had this message hidden in there as well. But what Oliver's suggesting is that he wants us to take a step back and ask ourselves, what do we really want to accomplish in our lives? So in our 4,000 weeks, what is it that we want to accomplish? And then once we have a clear sense of our goals, we can make much more intentional choices about how we use our time, which of course is very much what we've been talking about in this season of the podcast. So knowing our goals, being clear on our values, and then being deliberate in the choices we make in our lives and businesses is very much the kind of message that I'm getting from the book. And of course, I'm just going to throw in here, it's also what we've been talking about in our reading. After all, we do have our snazzy reading challenge too. Yeah, you can download our little reading checklist for the 23 for 2023 reading challenge. It's it's actually been so much fun. It's really flavoring the way I choose books this year. So that's been really great. But yeah, talking about reading makes me think of one of the other concepts that he brings up in the book, and that's the impatience spiral. So the impatience spiral is this need to always do things quickly and always do things efficiently. And he talks about things like convenience foods and like, for example, like Uber deliveries. Like, I love me an Uber delivery every now and then. And it's so convenient when you've, you know, maybe had a busy day and you don't feel like cooking and you order in and it gets delivered to you. You don't even have to go out to the restaurant to get it. But he kind of just pushes out there of like this idea of going, but what about your local restaurant? What about going there and standing and talking to the guy who's making the pizzas and the guy who owns the restaurant and actually, it's more inconvenient to hop in your car and go and collect your pizza or take a walk and go and collect it. But isn't there something in that? Is convenience like the only holy grail that we're aiming for? You know, I think in our society, it's like, oh, do this because it's so convenient. But like, is that the ultimate aim of everything? So I'm not, I'm not against Uber delivery at all, but in those moments where you just seen something just because it's convenient, he was challenging me to go, hmm, oh, okay, do I need convenience right now? Yeah. And, I, and I'm also reminded of things like- And is like, it, is it uh, the only making, driver? Like that's, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Like it's not the only driver. Yeah. We need to be a bit more deliberate about in our choices and our decision-making. Yes. So I've just cooked breakfast with my kids and I will usually put on a podcast and do the breakfast myself. But recently the boys have been helping me with that. And of course, you know how it is cooking with a, a young child. There's some things that will take longer than if you just did it yourself. But it's actually been so fun. They've learned so much and they helped me beat the eggs. And now they pour the eggs, the scrambled eggs into the pan. And they're learning about how to scramble the eggs and how that actually happens. They were amazed. They're like, oh, is this what happens to the eggs? Is this how you actually make scrambled eggs? And 
in that respect, like convenience would be, I just do it quickly, get it done and we eat breakfast and boom. But actually letting go of that impatience trap going, I have this abundance of time, which is another concept he brings up in the book. And let's enjoy this moment right here, right now. And there's, there's going to be places in your life where you can afford to go, I don't need to be efficient here. We can actually be inefficient. This doesn't have to scale. <laughs> and I also want to just bring up a, a reading quote since we are all about our reading and you've, you know, you've brought up our reading challenge and that kind of thing. I highlighted this in my Kindle version of the book. People complain that they no longer have time to read. But the reality, as the novelist Tim Parks has pointed out, is really that they literally can't locate an empty half hour in the course of the day. What they mean is that when they do find a morsel of time and use it to try to read, they find they're too impatient to give themselves over to the task. It's not simply that one is interrupted, writes Parks. It is that one is actually inclined to interruption. It's not so much that we're too busy or too distractible, but that we're unwilling to accept the truth that reading is the sort of activity that largely operates according to its own schedule, end quote. And that one was an interesting one to me because I think so often we want to rein in all our activities in the day and reading takes the time it takes. And, you know, mm -hmm. we've spoken about slow reading before embrace it go for it you know take the time it takes and don't be impatient with your reading enjoy it actually live in that book live in that moment yeah and exactly and I was going to say we've got some terrific episodes to support you in your reading as well so going back in our back catalog we've got some episodes that talk about how to make more time for reading and how to embrace yeah. reading fiction so go back and check out our back catalogue if finding time to read is something that you would like to do. So one of the other key messages that I took, and this is following on from what you're saying, Shelley, about you know taking the time and embracing the time abundance that we have, is that in essence, life is for living. So Oliver Berkman does talk about the fact that humans didn't really care that much about their days regarding how they spent their time before we started to think about how we spend our time. So the rising and the setting sun, the natural season cycle, the harvest, you know, all of those things in an agrarian culture, that guided people's lives. They didn't mm -hmm. think about time and the use of time and productivity and all those things we've been talking about. They just didn't think about it the way we do today. They didn't try to organise every day in advance or optimise their workflow to constantly save more time. They just lived. Life was for living so now the constant pressure to have and to be more and to do more and to make better use of our time, like Shelley, this kind of idea that if you've got a half an hour, you need to be productive. What can you do in this half an hour? It actually mm. means stress and anxiety are a lot higher. And I know I am definitely partial to this in a household where we're scrambled eggs for breakfast is not an option when you've got to have your kids out the door and at school by seven. So anxiety in the morning and stress getting us all out the door is quite high because our time has been kind of overscheduled. And so sometimes we can forget to actually enjoy life, which is why when it's the off season for sports and things, I'm like when people ask me, oh, are your kids doing winter sport? I'm like, no, I'm actually going to enjoy some downtime where we can have a sleep in and we can have a leisurely breakfast together mm -hmm. and we can go for a walk 
you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning because we're not at some sporting ground. So I think there's a really lovely quote here, and this is really relevant for the idea that I love to work with people around, which is simplifying. So getting clarity and then simplifying. Here's the quote. The more firmly you believe it ought to be possible to find time for everything, the less pressure you'll feel to ask whether any given activity is the best use for a portion of your time. Now, I just think that's so powerful because, right, we're just so busy on that hamster wheel, like Shelley, you mentioned. There's actually a lesson here which says, let's just put a pause on for a sec. Let's stop Mm. structuring everything in our life. Not throwing away all structure because, you know, I'm still an upholder, but everything doesn't have to be structured. We can leave time for white space, for unstructured time. Letting your kids come home and once they've done their homework, let them have an hour just playing. Simply put, enjoy your life and don't spend all of it planning, which is one of the really big messages I took from this book. That, that, that's a big one for you, Roy, because you are a, a prolific a <laughs> planner. <laughs> Some of that structure is very supportive and very helpful, but I mm-hmm. think there, there is this necessary need to go, we can't be so stuck in the future and planning that we don't actually enjoy the presence and, and live the life that we have here um, and that life is for the living. So, yeah, I think just in terms of leaving space for unstructured time, that can be part of your scheduling. You know, I think that's also the thing is that you can still do that planning and do the scheduling, but also plan for some unstructured time. And Mm -hmm. that relates to another key message that I took from the book. My husband actually looked over my shoulder as I got to chapter four, which is called Becoming a Better Procrastinator. I was very excited to see that one because I am a bit of a procrastinator. And yes, he says procrastination is okay. Everybody procrastinates. It's kind of inbuilt into our humanity. And why? Because we cannot possibly perform at our highest parameters at all times. We'd be redlining it. And of course, you know, when you do the red line, you're going to burn out. And Mm -hmm. so we can't operate at those highest parameters and we need to have those ebbs and flows to support us to operate at our, almost the highest level of contribution. Uh, so allow some unstructured time in your life. It's good. It's healthy. You can call it procrastination. You can call it rest, which is also another obvious chapter. It's called Rediscovering Rest. So I've got so much to say on this, so much so that our next episode is going to be dedicated to how to become a better procrastinator. So I'm going to stop there and tell everyone to tune in to our next episode. Yes, that is going to be fascinating and I can't wait for it. But right now I'm up to my last big takeaway that I got from the book, which is something that I'm passionate about and I work with my clients on, which is spend your free time doing things you love. If you manage to prioritize your tasks properly, you'll actually end up having some spare time because you've decided you can't do everything and you're just going to focus on the stuff that actually matters. There's been a decades long shift to this kind of hustle mentality and work as a source of identity, which means leisure or free time has basically been seen as a bad thing. So Oliver suggests you find a hobby that brings you pleasure. Now he does point out that at first you might feel kind of weird doing activities that don't bring any financial benefits and that you might actually be not very good at. 
But that's only a reaction that is kind of ingrained into you because of this overachieving brain that we've all been developing our whole lives. So this idea is that you should be able to have fun doing things that are just for fun's sake. So for me, for example, I sing in a choir and that's just fun for me. I love it. I'm not going to make any money from it. I'll never be a professional singer. We have great time singing together and it's just super fun. Now, I have a quote that I think captures this idea beautifully. The truth then is that spending at least some of your leisure time wastefully focused solely on the pleasure of the experience is the only way not to waste it, to be truly at leisure rather than covertly engaged in future-focused self-improvement. In order to most fully inhabit the only life you ever get, you have to refrain from using every spare hour for personal growth. Now, that does seem a bit countercultural because we have been told for so long that we should be always, so, you know, this growth mindset and we should be personal development and professional development. Even this podcast mm. is basically about how we can read stuff to make ourselves better, which is why I think this book is so kind of rebellious. I think that's probably why Shelley likes it because she is a rebel. And the messages yeah, yeah. here are enjoy being bad, be average or just kind of mediocre at something and having a hobby or exploiting a passion. Just do it because it's fun and you enjoy it. No other reason. It's a permission slip to say it's okay to do stuff just because it feels good. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, pfft, go for it. So my kids would be like, yes. let's play Minecraft or yeah. I don't know, like if you, you have a craft or a stitching hobby or something, you're not going to turn it into yes. a side hustle. You just do it because it's fun and it helps you relax. And then what Oliver suggests is fill up the rest of your free time with quality moments spent with your family and friends. So this is the bit that I loved as well. It's, it's completely counterintuitive again. So it's not countercultural this time. Now it's counterintuitive that spending more time doing fun and enjoyable, that's like leisure activities, actually boosts your productivity in the long run. So despite all of this messaging seeming to be so anti-productivity, it actually does. It works, which I love because that yes. is something that I'm very passionate about, um, you know, finding the fun in life and bringing the joy. Yes. And you know, I love this idea too. I think of my watercolor painting. It's something that I've never ventured into, but only like now in my 40s. I've just so enjoyed doing watercolor painting with no background whatsoever. I bought a course on Domestica, which I'm really loving. And like, I'm not good at it, but then I actually do a watercolor and I'm like, oh, that is pretty good. But I don't have to sell it. I don't have to have anyone assess it or anything like that. I'm just doing it for the fun of doing it and I can afford to be mediocre at it and it's so liberating and it's so enjoyable and yes as you say these leisure activities isn't it amazing how they do boost your productivity in the long run and you know I'm off on another little holiday tomorrow Wednesday to Sunday and like I'm just so excited for that bit of recharge time but yes it takes a lot of intention to plan those holidays because you've got to ramp up to them. I've got to plan my work around it and I'm quite maxed out with work as we speak, but it's a choice that I'm making and I know that all my work is not going to get finished before I go on holiday. I think there is this need sometimes of like, oh, let's just 
wrap everything up with a nice bow and go off on holiday. It's not finished and that's okay. And I've practiced this a few times. So I know that when I come back, I'll just pick up from where I left off. And honestly, a long weekend is not going to hurt anyone. In fact, it is beneficial for everyone, for me, for my clients, for my family. I think this quote really captured it for me. In this situation, making a choice, picking one item from the menu, far from representing some kind of defeat, becomes an affirmation. It's a positive commitment to spend a portion of time doing this instead of that. Actually, instead of an infinite number of other that's, because this, you've decided, is what counts the most right now. In other words, it's precisely the fact that I could have chosen a different and perhaps equally valuable way to spend this afternoon bestows meaning on the choice I did make. And the same applies, of course, to an entire lifetime. End quote. Oh, Isn't that a good one? It's so oh. good. I love <laughs> like that like lots quote. of truth bombs there. So many truth bombs. So, Shelley, I would love to know, what is your overall view or take on the book? Okay, so this is a five-star book for me. I recommended it to my husband because I was talking about it while I was reading it, and he was like, yeah, I think I need to read this one. He also really enjoyed it, and we had some great chats about what Oliver Berkman had to say about time. But I really felt that as a rebel and a person who kind of struggles to be organized in the traditional sense of the word, and definitely as someone who struggles with time management, it was such a refreshing read for me. It made me feel seen. And it also made me feel like my work was less about trying to plan and control, but actually the work that I need to do is actually releasing that desire for ultimate control because I'm not going to get it anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I loved how he told the story through that diversity of views really shook things up and challenged me to think about time very differently. And what about you, Ro? What's, what's your overall take on 4,000 weeks? Oh, like you, Shelley, I really enjoyed this book. And like you, I also I really relished the different perspectives from philosophers and the ancient wisdom that Oliver shares. I found it very easy to read and also written in an engaging way. Unlike some of the texts that I've read where they reference a lot of philosophy, sometimes they're a little hard going. Oliver's style made it almost conversational and therefore I was kind of turning the pages without realising, oh, wow, I've read a whole chapter, which I, I think is actually quite important if you are listening and you're thinking, oh, is this one I can be bothered reading? Just say this is actually quite an easy read despite the kind of content that is in there. I really loved the idea that we shouldn't try and fill our schedules with maximum activity but instead leave space for unstructured time and leisure activities. And by learning how to enjoy the little things and finding pleasure in holiday um, hobbies and holidays <laughs> and reconnecting with our loved ones, we actually improve the quality of our lives significantly. And the key messages really resonated, especially I think because I read it after I'd read the book Things That Matter by Joshua Becker and I'd just read Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism, so both of which had very similar key messages. So kind of my mind was already primed and receptive to to take yeah. on these messages from yes. that Oliver shares in 4000 weeks. Now, as I've mentioned before, I think this book turns time management on its head. And so instead of trying to cram more in and do more stuff, we're actually to take things away, to 
remove the things that don't matter and make the changes to improve our life and the way we use our time for the better. He himself puts it beautifully in one of his quotes towards the back of the book. And I'm going to share it with you because I think it just captures the essence of what he's trying to say. In this book, I've made the case for embracing the truth about your limited time and limited control over that time. Not simply because it's the truth, so you might as well face it, but because it's actively empowering to do so. By stepping more fully into reality as it actually is, you get to accomplish more of what matters and feel more fulfilled about it. Yet another truth bomb. I just think it is such a powerful summation of his own words summing up the essence of his book. And I just think, you know, probably a five-star review from me too. I really enjoyed it. So in our next episode, we will take the conversation inspired by 4,000 Weeks a bit further. And more specifically, as Shelley has already mentioned, she will be exploring one of the more contentious ideas that Oliver Berkman discusses, the power of procrastination. Ah, yes. Procrastination is often seen as something very bad. So I'll be chatting about how we can use our leanings towards procrastination more intentionally in our business. I'll be following that episode up with a deeper dive into the five life-changing questions that Oliver shares in his final summary and how they can influence our personal choices. I'll be sharing some ideas and examples of how we can use those questions to help guide our decision-making in a more intentional way. Yes, and let's get reading, everybody. Let's get intentional about our reading. So you can do that by downloading our free, very cute 2023 reading challenge checklist, which is all about reading with more intention. So go and visit signup.tobookedup.com. That link will be in the show notes, but there you can sign up and get that PDF delivered to your inbox. And let us know how you're going with the categories or what you think of 4,000 weeks and what you thought of what we've discussed on this podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Shelley T. Smith, or you can sign up for my newsletter at ShellyTonkinsmith.com. And for my copywriting services, head on over to ShellySmithCreative.com. And then remember to subscribe or follow whatever your podcast player says. We've got lots more to say about intentional living, about doing work that lights you up, and about all the books that help us to do that. And of course, go and visit twobookedup.com where you'll find show notes and a transcript of this episode. You can find me at Rowena Mabbitt on Instagram. And if you'd like to learn more about how I can support you as a career and life confidence coach, or download my free book, The A to Z of Career and Life Confidence, or read one of my many blog posts, then head on over to my online home at rowenamabbitt.com. Thanks for listening to Two Booked Up today. Shelley and I will be back with another new episode in a couple of weeks' time. Until then, here's to doing more things that matter in our precious 4,000 weeks.